Blog Talk Radio. Hi, how are you doing, huh? 
I'm great. How are you? I'm great, thank you. It's a pleasure to have you with us. Oh, I'm glad to be here. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, we had a, a very uh, restful and productive weekend, and I trust that everyone listening this evening has experienced the same thing. Uh, my wife has a show every Sunday morning, and it was a very interesting show this morning. Um, and we're looking forward to revisiting her show. That's every um, Sunday morning, um, New Spirit is the, uh, the title of her show, uh, Queen Mother Spirit Change, as she is hosting the show every Sunday. And you're guaranteed to have uh, a very stimulating and enjoy and also informative experience by tuning into her show. So we encourage you to spread the word, of course, and letting people know that uh, every Sunday my wife, uh, Queen Mother Spirit Change in the morning, and of course myself. I will be adding another date, uh, Saturday evenings. I used to do shows on Saturday evenings, and I'm contemplating starting that beginning next week. I will still hold on to Sunday evening as well. So uh, we're looking forward to definitely uh, fulfilling the needs and desires of those of us throughout the African diaspora and, and indeed throughout the world in terms of sharing relative information, relevant information in regards to books that cannot be accessed to those of you who uh, do not live in an area where there are bookstores available, those of you who cannot afford to purchase a book, uh, those of you who do not have a library in the immediate vicinity, those who cannot read, who are convalescing in a home or in a hospital. Indeed, the purpose of reviewing these books is many-fold, uh, multifold, as it were, in terms of uh, sharing these uh, precious gems of, of writings uh, by masters, master teachers. So with, with that in mind, I will take a short break, and when I return, we will continue reading from Dr. Naeem Akbar's book, Natural Psychology and Human Transformation. that we are finding that 
as Muslims around the world come more under the influence of the grafted images of the Western, Western world, they are developing the same character flaws and arrested development that is so common in the Judeo-Christian world. As people lose contact with the natural psychology, they are subject to the loss of their higher image of their own possibilities, and consequently, there is a deterioration in their human character. The crusade, the crusade must be one that will restore the higher human vision. We must work to establish a view of ourselves which will put us back on the spiritual path of growth and in the company of the Most High. The work of the Afrocentric scholars, though greatly criticized as racist, ethnocentric, and secular, is actually in the vanguard for the transturation or restoration of such thought. And this scholarship has penetrated the black church and has restored this transforming influence on the people who have embraced this vision. Not of black or African superiority, but of human excellence. And I must say, I go back, being that this is, uh, we're in the midst of a political uh, campaign uh, and, and also a challenge to President Obama uh, for his uh, uh, desire to win a second term. Uh, when he was campaigning against Hillary Clinton in the primary, they tried to go into his closet, as, as it were, and pull out the skeletons. And um, they touched upon a, uh, a fact that the, the minister, the pastor who married him, him and his wife, Michelle Obama, uh, uh, Minister Wright is his name, he was renowned and known as uh, a, a radical theologian. Uh, he... he Expose sentiments that were considered to be off over the edge in terms of Afrocentricity, and and somewhat even bordering on line of being a racist, and they tried to tag this onto Obama. They felt that that was going to do him in, and no, no, it did not. He came out and 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 immediately uh, gave a speech, a rebuttal that. Uh, really inspired and, and, and uh, injected in the race, the primary race, an accelerated pace of, uh, of, of gaining momentum. And towards the end, of course, he was able to uh, win the primary and beat Hillary Clinton and, of course, go on to win the election and become uh, the first black, the first African-American president of the United States. So... Indeed, they, the, the, the powers that be, uh, the enemy, as it were, of the Obama campaign did not realize that the public at large, we're here within the United States and indeed throughout the world, uh, was going through a transformation, as it were, or had transformed and was going through the process of completing that transformation as we are, as we speak today or this evening. Uh, so it, it, it's a lot to think in terms of how uh, Dr. Naeem Akbar and other scholars like himself had their pulse on the collective uh, psyche, if, as it were, of the world community with regard to human transformation. So I just, I just had to interject that particular thought and nuance that this spirit inspired me to think of and hope that will give you some uh, some food for thought as well. So this scholarship has penetrated the black church and has restored its transforming influence on the people who have embraced this vision, not of black or African superiority, but of human excellence. This image, which has been the mainstay of many black nationalist movements, has always had a powerfully transforming influence on those persons who begin to see themselves in this exalted light. The great success of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, Marcus Garvey, and others is a consequence of the resurgence of the exalted human vision that their adherents accepted. And through the focus of the Afrocentric scholars is on 
though the focus of the Afrocentric scholars is on the restitution of the historically oppressed people of African descent, the vision which is being developed is one, the only one, that will save all of humanity. And this message essentially says, we are of divine origin, manifested in material form, with a path of gradual transformation guided by self-knowledge and self-mastery, which will eventually restore us to a state of peace and spiritual consciousness in the form of our Creator. This is our natural potential, and it must be the image cultivated by a natural psychology. And once this state of higher evolution is achieved, then like the butterfly, we will fly in the heavens of truth, righteousness, harmony, and peace. It is not our role to exclude anyone from this vision. It is our role to affirm this vision for ourselves and for our people who have been given a faulty and alien dream intended to degrade and enslave them rather than a vision of their true human greatness and the possibility. This makes me think of uh, our brother, the Honorable Elz Mahik Shabazz, Malcolm X, before he transitioned, before he was assassinated, his vision was one for humanity. And he stated it's not about uh, Africanism and, and, and racism, classism. He said it's about humanism. That's what he's about. It's bringing upon the realization that humanism is the key to our salvation. So after he traveled to Mecca, and, and, and saw blonde-haired, blue-eyed Muslims making salat and, and making their hajj. After he recognized that there were people of all hues of the rainbow of, of, of race and ethnicity, he began to realize that, indeed, that uh, our plight is one of lack of humanity uh, to humanity, humanism being embraced in its, to its core. So uh, that was the beginning of my transformation and my awakening, as it were, back uh, some some uh, 40 years ago. So we continue now. As he talks about in the title of this particular episode, which was Society and the Butterfly, Dr. Akbar, he states that traditional teachers of wisdom as well as the divine scriptures of revelation I've always pointed to nature as the language of the divine mind. The people of ancient Kemet, commonly called Egypt, actually referred to this language of the divine as inter, nurtures, for which the word nature is derived. The guidance of this ancient of these ancient teachers suggests that if we look at the trees at the process of the rising and setting of the sun, the growth and life cycles of trees and flowers, the lives of insects and other animals, we can find divine direction for human lives. What is built into the natural processes of life are actually instructions of how man can more effectively develop himself consistent with the divine format for his existence. There is in the study of nature a statement about growth, development, life, and the death of man. And this unique quality of womb-slash-man is that he must discover with his consciousness the path which his development must take. And in this process, she-he is actually the handicapped being of creation and that he does not automatically know and follow his nature. The human being, though, is also the master of nature and that he-she can discover and select to perfect his nature consistent with the creative power of the divine. Nature, he states, contains so many keys to the understanding of our proper functioning, growth, and yes, even our downfall, and therefore we are compelled to understand something about the world in which we live. And this world in which we live is a book of pictures laid out for those who may never learn the meaning of words, it is a book that is opened wide for those who do not have an extensive vocabulary. In fact, even the infant 
spirit senses can almost immediately begin to read and internalize this book of the natural world. Humanity's very first divine book is the book of nature. I will call on my wife later on in the show to share some of the profound uh, thoughts and, and words of wisdom uh, that she has with regard to what I had mentioned earlier about the comedic aspect of inter. And, and I've learned so much from her and her godfather uh, and, and the process of me doing my research. And uh, things have really solidified and come to clarity, as it were, by being blessed with having her as my wife and friend, and also at times as a teacher. Uh, there's a saying, each one, reach one, teach one. So once we acknowledge that the, 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 uh, the journey of learning, of, of teaching, goes hand in hand, and that we can all teach each other, and um, the readings that the, the words that I just read uh, are just so profound. Dr. Naim Akbar uh, has stated in terms of dealing with nature as a way of learning how to be a human being. Uh, hon, would you like to share anything with regard to that later on? Okay, great. Sure. Wonderful. Now, I will continue by saying that this divine book must be approached with respect, humility, however, and nature cannot be, and what he means by this divine book, he's talking about the book of nature. He says, nature cannot be approached with a desire to abuse and exploit. Neither can we approach nature with an attitude of adultery, thinking that the processes revealed in her is in fact divinity itself. We look to nature because as a tool of the divine, she points to the path of truth called Ma'at by the ancient comedic people. Nature is a part of the creation which emanates from the creator. And through revelation and, and the tradition of our human ancestors, there is evidence that much of man's social, technical, and spiritual development has been modeled on the images of nature. We are taught that if we study what nature does, we can get a message about what humans should be doing in order to keep their nature properly aligned with the natural processes. In this discussion, he states, we, we want to look at only one of those highly instructive processes in nature. It is a process that we find throughout nature with a consistent occurrence which makes it clear that it must be an essential part of the map for understanding the realities of human existence. And this process is the one called, and one of, transformation. It has clear applicability to human and social societal growth. It is probably most vividly portrayed in the natural image of the, blood of, of the butterfly. A butterfly lays an egg, it is fertile, a fertilized egg, and within the confines of the egg is the male and female butterflies. Contribution to the future life form. In fact, the egg contains, in a coded form, the entire ancestral contributions to its new life. All of the contributions from thousands of years of evolution are contained in this microscopic egg. And at this point, the egg is not actually life, but it is potential life. It is an unborn life, but a fertile and gifted life. The path which takes this potential life, this actual life, is in the process of growth or transformation. The key is the realization of the hidden potential found in the microscopic egg is its destiny to unfold through the equally divine mechanism of growth. In fact, it is the very nature of this life process to grow, but it must have the proper growth environment in order to realize its potential. After a few weeks, and under the right conditions, the egg begins to open. 
careful observation reveals that it doesn't really open, but it rather dissolves or disintegrates into another form. And for a brief period of its integration, a disintegration, it is of a rather nondescript form, changing rapidly as occurs with all the decay processes and what appears to be death. In any event, in rather short order, this bubbly, dissolving, formless blob becomes a warm-looking creature with well-defined structures and mobility. And this new creature is what we affectionately refer to as a hairy worm. The curiosity continues, though, because this egg that was laid by a beautiful adult butterfly comes into life, not in the appearance of this lovely, colorful, celestial parent, but as a creepy, crawly, slimy, hairy worm, which is commonly known as a caterpillar. And this newly developed creature bears absolutely no resemblance to the parent of its origin. There is certainly no evidence that this creature has any of the gifts which we have argued lay hidden in the codes of the egg which initiated this form life. It is in no way resembles a butterfly. Even the worm's own mother would look at it in disbelief and declare, oh no, this cannot be my child because it bears no resemblance to me. But as we shall see, such a mother would be one with limited vision to disown her yet unfamiliar offspring on such a superficial basis. In fact, such a mother would have had to have lost sight of her own history in order to make such a claim. Hmm. Such a metaphor. I won't get too deeply into this because I want to continue with the thought that uh, Dr. Akbar has initiated in this, in this particular part of his book. But I can go back, with my being 68 years of age, I can go back to when I was in my teens, my early teens, where um, as an African-American, I would see my brothers and sisters from the Caribbean. I would see my brothers and sisters from, uh, who were born in the motherland of Africa, those from, uh, from Kemet, as it were. And I would have that reaction, such as the mother, the butterfly looking at the uh, at the caterpillar. Oh no, that's not me. I didn't come from that. Uh, they didn't come from me. But that was because I I was conditioned. I was in a state of arrested development in terms of not being informed, not being schooled, not having information. So we don't have that problem now saying we, myself, my wife, and those in my particular circle and, and, and family and so forth. But there are many of us, though, throughout the diaspora which do have that problem. They're looking at each other, the children, offsprings, and say, no, that is not me. So uh, the potential of arrested development. But no, transformation has, it cannot be stopped. Again, I go back to President Obama. Now, children are being born, are growing and saying, ah, oh, yes, that is me, and I can be whatever I want to be. Obama represents that caterpillar, who is now the butterfly, he and his wife and his children. They have blossomed, they've transformed, and evolved into an a, a, a image of power, of intelligence, of, of uh, magnificence, of royal presence, which at one time, some 20, 30, 40, truly 50, 60 years ago, we could never have imagined that. So yes, we are fortunate to be alive today to be able to witness such evidence of transformation, most of all, though, within ourselves. Do you have any thoughts to share, huh, with regard to that? Well, in regards to transformation, and uh, I'm just going to mention that I'm a high priestess in the Shrine of Kepler, and Kepler is the symbol of transformation. The 
interesting that um, I'm not even sure that you're whether or not you're aware of this, but I'll just point out to you that I have on my altar next to my image of Sephora a butterfly. Ah. <laughs> I don't know whether or not you are aware of yes, that. Yes, I, 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 I have seen that. And, and I can remember where we got that. Yes, and after listening to you talking about Dr. Naeem Akbar's book, the information is to be shared. Mm-hmm. Now, transformation to transformation as not necessarily a full exposition, but a part of what it entails is the cycle of the continuum, which, as you were saying, I don't need to reinvent the wheel. I don't need to reinterpret what you're reading by a master teacher, Dr. Naeem Akbar, who I humbly defer to. But, uh, the cycle of the continuum of transformation is that cycle of maturity, death, mm-hmm. as we know it, and rebirth. Mm-hmm. And the parallel that Dr. Akbar draws to it in his book of understanding nature, yeah. observing and understanding nature as a means to understanding the life cycle is so true. Because in actuality, we go through individual and simultaneous transformation all the time. And by that, I mean within the point you are right this minute on the continuum, you're experiencing transformation. But mentally, even at this moment, you're still going through additional metamorphoses. So you mentioned, okay, you're 68 years old, but even within that realm, you've gone through several transformations, probably countless ones. Mm-hmm. And there are some that you will recall vividly because they were major events that happened at that particular time, and then there are others that you, the other subtle transformations that we're not aware of. So like the simile of the butterfly coming forth from the transformation of the caterpillar, if we observe those processes in nature, then we can understand that our lives is a series of transformations, metamorphoses, and the closer that we can get to nature, the closer you get to nature. I remember the time when I had gone out of the city to uh, attend a degree program, and we were out in the woods. And I remember from, from someone who's accustomed to being in the city with all the noise and all the crazy, you can actually hear nature. Poets have talked about that, different people talk about it, but it's a whole different story when you actually Experience it when you go to an area that is so quiet that you can literally hear nature, that you can feel the trees talking to you, which is something that I experienced and it was a bit disconcerting and then I realized what was happening. So those are my thoughts on transformation. This is a great book. Dr. Naeem Akbar is a master teacher. Like I said, I defer to him. Absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing. Yes, so that's that's really a, a profound revelation Queen Mother shared with regard to that we're constantly going through transformation. Uh, those of us who are parents who have children or aunts and uncles who are blessed to have nieces and nephews, any of us who have children who are with us constantly from day to day, uh, we're able to witness from 
brought from birth to their uh, toddler age to uh, growing to teenagers and then to adults. We witnessed that transformation. Uh, and of course, being able to reflect what we see and then look at ourselves, it becomes obvious that yes, we do go through a transformation very, very subtly. At times, sometimes we have to look at a picture of us, ourselves, and of course, I've seen images from me plowing the teachings of Bhakti Yoga and uh, the readings of Bhagavad Gita. There are certain pictures I know that first really, I, I was able to relate this transformation of seeing a picture of the infant growing up in the stages I just mentioned, teenager to adult and then to being older, and then, of course, uh, becoming an old age, and then going back into now uh, bending over and then getting back to that state in which one was born before one goes into trans transition for the next incarnation. There is that cycle. So that was what I experienced would allow me to understand, yes, that I'm not my body, that I'm a spirit uh, experiencing a human experience. Most of us are conditioned to think that we're human beings who sometimes experience a spiritual experience. So, uh, again, I, I thank Queen Mother for sharing that. And yes, indeed, um, uh, the observance of animals, and in this case, insects. You know, we can talk at some other future shows about the, the order of certain insects like bees and ants. You have the worker bees, the worker ants. Then, of course, you have the queen bee and the queen ant. All the insects, they seem to have a queen. And, and that queen is able to actually lay hundreds of thousands of eggs. And that's all she does, to supply the colony with, uh, with eggs, which are then transformed into... Uh, the, uh, the population of the colony. So there's a metaphor there which needs to be looked at. And of course that ties into the teachings of Maat, uh where the woman is held in the same light as man in dealing with Wu Man, Yin Yang, that complete balance. So uh, I'm inspired. I'm so happy that I chose this book to read, to share at the beginning of the year. And uh, throughout the year, we'll, we'll be touching upon books such as this excellent uh, book written by Dr. Naeem Akbar. Okay, so he's, he goes on to state that the butterfly lays an egg and it's fertilized. With an egg, there's a male or female butterfly, which eventually transforms. And then after a few weeks, under the right condition, the, eggs, uh, the egg begins to open. And after careful observation, you notice that it has uh, a, a bubbly, dissolving, formless blob, becomes a worm-looking creature, which we now know uh, is what is known as, as a caterpillar. And uh, he states very eloquently how the... Uh, the butterfly, the mother, uh, looks at the egg in, in disbelief and says, oh, no, this cannot be my child because it bears no resemblance to me. <laughs> and, and as he states, we shall see that such a mother would be one with limited vision to disown her yet unfamiliar offspring on such a superficial basis. And in fact, he states that such a mother would have had to have lost sight of her own history in order to make such a claim. So, yes, it behooves us as a people, and especially those of us of African descent throughout the African diaspora, to learn our history so that we are not like the mother butterfly who is ready to disown her child because of the fact that the child does not look like her. Uh, he states that the hairy, the hairy worm, so what accounts for the move from the storage house of the egg to becoming the distasteful-looking hairy worm, the worm has a story to tell, as does every other component of nature. The worm has an important function and an important tale 
about our development as human beings as well. The worm has a very crucial function for the life of the insect. It establishes the foundation for the survival of its life form. The caterpillar has one essential function, and that is to feed. Its function is exclusively that of a physical entity. It has no celestial function. It has no physical beauty to show. It has no social or reproductive function. It is selfish, greedy, and all consumed by its physical function of feeding itself. This worm is consumed by consumption. It wants to eat all of the time. In fact, it doesn't even sleep, but eats throughout the night and day. The caterpillar crawls among the leaves and eats, eats, eats. In fact, for a few caterpillars present, an entire tree can actually be stripped of its leaves in a matter of days. They eat, they eat large multiples of their body weight in, in the course of a day. The major concern of the worm is feeding the physical being. His business is exclusively physical business. His very form and his natural orientation is to effectively take care of the job of the physical and material needs of the entity which is coming forth. As a result of so much eating, the little hairy worm begins to grow rapidly, and in a few days it sheds one layer of skin and another layer of skin, larger and more developed, emerges. It isn't long before it is a big, fat, hairy worm, and through its unsightly form continues, the worm is growing and developing consistent with its nature. Interestingly enough, even with its amazing appetite and capacity for consumption, the caterpillar does not eat indiscriminately. Its instinct or nature directs it to the proper leaves with the proper nutrition to feed its growth in the most appropriate way. He chews his choices are clocked into its nature, consistent with the best instruction of his ancestral worms. Guided by the divine nature of its own growth, Instinctively, it stays away from those things which are not conducive to its growth and survival. The divine nature of his being propels him towards those things that are necessary for his proper growth and effective development. Because he consumes well and correctly, he expands maturely and becomes very successful as a physical being. In our states, it talks about the cocoon. After a while, the worm achieves satisfaction and reaches a new level of maturity, and after reaching physical maturity, he begins to regurgitate a substance from its mouth, which forms a fine and elegant fiber. He begins in accord with the pattern laid down in his nature to wrap himself into his spittle, the fiber which comes from his mouth. He rolls himself into this new covering known as a cocoon, and after a period of time, he completely encloses himself in this small pouch. With the submergence of himself into the cocoon, the entity takes on an entirely different appearance. The hairy worm is no longer to be seen. The voracious and mobile eater is gone, and another inanimate form appears wrapped like an ancient mummy. It shows every indication of being lifeless, with neither mobility nor observable life activity. For the second time in the life process of this entity, we see an amazing resemblance to what we call death. As we noted in the case of the ostensible death process of the disintegration of the egg, it only hastened the emergence of the new level of being in the form of the caterpillar. But what is there to be learned from the cocoon? It is another stage in life, in the life process, with some distinct features such as we found in the caterpillar. In the first place, 
The quality of the cocoon depends greatly on the nourishment obtained through the eating of the worm. If the worm fails to obtain the right kind of leaves, then he won't be able to produce the fine quality fiber which will ensure a well-formed cocoon. The biologist tells us that if the leaves do not have adequate moisture, the cocoon will actually disintegrate and the development process will be terminated. Leaves which have not received adequate sun to develop proper nutrition will keep the worm alive, but will not be effective in supplying the high-quality fiber that is necessary to form a proper cocoon. A proper cocoon must be able to protect and support the developing life as it goes through the necessary process of transformation. The cocoon is a vital shield for the continued development of the life form. It offers the necessary, the necessary environment to feed proper growth for the continued evolution of this potential life form, which still has not reached its true potential as destined by the code of its genesis. The character of this cocoon strongly depends on what was consumed during the physical stage. And though apparently guided by greed and appetite in the worm stage, it is, it, its very conduct determines the future life which follows it. The caterpillar submits appropriately to its nature. It also naturally relinquishes, relinquishes its form for a higher form when that time comes. Perhaps we can imagine an abnormal caterpillar that keeps on eating when sleeping time has come, but we cannot imagine such a caterpillar existing in a natural environment. Perhaps in a contaminated or disease environment, such a breakdown in nature might occur, but the nature of the butterfly has already dictated the course of its development. We can more clearly see the great risk of the human being who must make selections to grow itself properly. Unlike all other components of nature, the human being's capacity for abnormality is greater than all other forms of life. His capacity for greatness is also greater than all other forms of life if it makes the proper choices consistent with his best possibilities. Man does not automatically know that he has the capacity to be something greater than his most basic forms. Man can so easily become a permanent worm or disintegrate into a formless blob unrecognizable to even its own kind. He must make choices and be taught the full capacity that the Creator has given him. It seems as if uh, I will not be able to complete the entire book and I will complete it next, uh, next week. And I noticed that uh, someone just got on the line. Uh, if you care to share some thoughts with us, uh, area code 347. If you want to uh, share any thoughts with us, please feel free to push the number one button, and it will be a pleasure to, uh, to speak with you. Uh, what's next is the what Naim Akbar has to state about the butterfly. Okay, three four seven. I will tune you in. You're on the air. My Hello, name is Cartrell Gore. How are you, sir? Oh, brother Cartrell Gore. I'm doing quite well, my brother. How are you doing? Not bad. Can't complain. Oh, it's a pleasure to hear your voice. Happy New Year to you. Thank you. And belated Happy Kwanzaa. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so what's been happening? Uh, do you have some thoughts to share with us? Well, I just retired from the Navy Reserves. Mm-hmm. I just retired from the Navy Reserves. Oh, congratulations! Yes, after twenty-two years, twenty-one years, two months without a scratch. Okay. And um, uh, I am very yes. I also got called up for Afghanistan mm. during that time period. And I was pretty lucky. Guess where my post turned out to be for Afghanistan? Where was that? Tampa, Florida. Oh, wow. Yes. So I made up pretty lucky in that uh, respect. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
Now, even so though much, I am in, yes. I was going to say, how much time did you spend in in, uh, in Tampa, Florida? Not that much. It wasn't a very long tour. A few months. Okay. Well, about the show, what did you have? You been listening in uh, on the show and the um, the uh, book that I've been reading by Dr. Aim Akbar? I haven't heard much about it. Uh, I was just, uh, in fact, I've been searching the web trying to find you. <laughs> That's uh, uh, basically what I've been doing. Now, mm-hmm. um, I couldn't find, it, it took me, it wasn't until maybe five minutes ago that I was able to um, to um, find you. Uh, I think something about, he said that, we are more than the sum total of our thoughts. I believe that is an ancient psychological proverb. Uh, I don't remember who, who else said it. Uh, mm-hmm. That's I read online. Uh, I mean, that's something I read online. It reminded me of that. But I did not hear much of your show, unfortunately. As um, I've been trying since uh, 51 minutes ago to find you. And I just found you. You know, uh, my web search, you know, uh, my web search. But I am very concerned about health care, and what I'm going to do right now is email you. You don't have to comment on this uh, for, for a while, but I'm going to email you my own personal health care proposal about health care coverage. Okay. Uh, Great. I look the, forward. Yes, yes. I'll email it to you right right now. And it'll, it'll be um, maybe we can discuss it in greater detail in the near future. That'd be great. I look forward to that, Brother Cartel. And I want to thank you so much for tuning in. And I look forward to uh, you listening to future shows. But uh, yes, indeed, we will be in touch later on. I guess you're going to email that to me later on tonight, and I'll definitely respond. So thank great, you so much. For thank you so much. God right, bless you, brother. Thank you. Take care. Take care. Okay, uh, so we're down to our last seven minutes, and I just wanted to just touch upon what Dr. Naeem Akbar states about the butterfly. Uh, He states that within the cocoon, another miracle begins to occur, and death begins to shed its illusion, and a new life begins to form. The life that had existed as a worm is no longer the predominant life of this entity. The worm has died in the cocoon, and its transformation to a higher form of life has begun. Only vestiges of the old hairy worm-like remain present. Even its earthly mobility and multiple legs have been paralyzed, and the life of the catapult as we know it is no more. But this life during transformation is fed with the nourishment which she consumed in its worm life. Life can be maintained within cocoon sometimes only for weeks and sometimes through multiple seasons, but enough nourishment has been retained to protect, to protect life in the course of the worm. So not only has the voracious eating and persistent work in the worm-like life supplied the substance to encircle and secure the developing new life, but it has also preserved the substance to feed the life yet to come. And in due time, a new life form emerges from the cocoon. Alas, it is the butterfly in the form of its original parent, a big, beautiful, colorful butterfly. This butterfly, which started as an egg and became a worm, went into a cocoon and emerged from the cocoon as a newly developed life form that doesn't have no have to crawl anymore, it doesn't have to eat leaves anymore because it's able to fly and can eat from the skies through which it glides. It drinks of the nectar from the flowers and, and moves to the awe and envy of all who would seek to make it their prey. It is no longer vulnerable to the feet of the society as was its predecessor, forming the, uh, the life and image of the caterpillar. The only reminder of the vulnerable worm 
is the body torso which is retained and now lifted aloft by the flamboyant wings which raise above the trees and above the heads of the beasts who so recently would have taken its life in the vulnerable form of the earthly traveler. So thus, I, uh, I'm just so excited about having the opportunity of reading this, uh, the, the, the transformation uh, metaphor that Dr. Naeem Akbar uses with the butterfly. We are in a state, as many people have said, that the year 2012 was going to be the beginning of a transformation of humankind. And I'm so excited about uh, the revelations and, and what will begin to become uh, an obvious uh, awareness to us throughout uh, the world in terms of transformation. And we've seen through uh, uh, the news and various protests that has been happening within the last 12 months throughout the world, that uh, societies throughout the world are transforming. And it's through the youth, uh, those youth who were uh, conditioned, who is it, were um, the caterpillars, who were dormant at one time. And at one time, people were saying, oh, it seems as if the, the social, societal ills within the world uh, has indeed stagnated the growth of various uh, communities throughout the world. And it seemed to be the analogists of death, as we know it, of, of progress. But no, there was an emergence. The cocoon was, uh, was created, and then, of course, from that cocoon is this new resurgence of hope and the audacity of change, of wanting to have change. And those people who were rulers and malcontents, dictators, um, tyrants, as it were, were thrown, chased out of office and, and taken off the earth in some cases. Uh, so, yes, indeed, we are embarking upon a worldwide uh, change. And, of course, uh, we're experiencing individual transformation within ourselves on many levels, as my wife was stating earlier. Some levels in which we are aware of, and of course some that we have no clue at present, which in the future time we will become aware of. So I want to thank everyone uh, for listening in this evening. Those of you who uh, are listening in the archives, I want to thank you for taking the time later on to uh, uh, share with me your your energy for this night this evening's readings and I look forward to uh, continuing uh, the end of this book uh, this very dynamic book next Sunday evening so that we can indeed uh, absorb and, and digest and, and, uh, and share the the, uh, the knowledge that Dr. Akbar has uh, so skipped within this book of natural psychology and human transformation. Um, again, I'd like to thank my wife for, for assisting me and being with us uh, in the chat room and sharing her knowledge uh, with regards to the teachings of Mahat. And I must also share that she conducts free uh, support groups for those diagnosed with type 1 and type 2 diabetes website spiritchange.com to receive more information with regard to that. And I must end in closing prayer by being acknowledged to the Most High. Uh, we give this evening to you, and may our minds stay centered on things of spirit and goodness. May we not be tempted to stray from love. And as we begin this week, dear Lord, we open to receive you. We ask that you enter where you already abide. May our minds and hearts be pure and true and may we not deviate from the things of goodness. May we see the love and innocence in all mankind behind the masks we all wear and the illusions of this worldly plane. We surrender to you our doings this day, and we ask only that they serve you and the healing of the world. And may we bring your love and goodness with us to give unto others wherever we go. People you would have us be, direct our footsteps, and show us what you would have us do. Make the world 
a safe and more beautiful place. Bless all your creatures and heal us all, dear Lord, and use us so that we might know the joy of being used by you. Shay.